Hello everyone and welcome to Film Disruptors. My name is Alex Stoltz and this is the podcast where I share insights and strategies from the leaders who are shaping the future of film. Today's guest is Rike Ennis, who for more than two decades has been at the forefront of the international film business, most recently as CEO of Trust Nordisk. In the past year, Rike has founded Reinvent Studios, new mini studio specializing in packaging sales and finance of films for the global market and not content with launching just one new enterprise ricky has also launched a new pay-per-view digital streaming service called nut alone nut alone has a truly innovative solution to providing rights holders with more control over their distribution and audiences a much greater choice this episode was recorded live at the 2019 Berlin Film Festival and is brought to you in partnership with two very fine organisations. Film Tech Office, which is a co-working space in Berlin for creatives and entrepreneurs in film, storytelling and tech. More info can be found at filmtechoffice.com. And it was also brought to you in partnership with the European Film Market of the Berlinale and specifically the excellent EFM Horizons programme of which this conversation was a part of. If you are enjoying the show or just want to find out more, there are a couple of ways to stay in touch. Firstly, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Just click subscribe on iTunes to get the latest episodes as soon as they drop onto your device, your desktop, however you like to listen to your podcasts. Also, you can sign up for updates at the home of Film Disruptors. That's www.alexstoltz.com. Just enter your email to receive all the latest Film Disruptors news and episodes straight to your inbox. And this is also where you can access previous episodes, find out more about our featured guests, and get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. And so that just leaves me to say thank you for listening. And I am now going to hand you over to Rike Ennis. And I started the show by asking Rike whether this was indeed the first market she had attended since launching Reinvent Studios. Um, that's a good question. Actually, um, we started Reinvent in June, but of course we knew that we were going to start up uh, way before. So I remember coming out with the first press release about Reinvent at Series Mania. I arrived in that very moment, moment in the hall when the news came out. So I was stepping in as Trust Nordisk, but I actually just changed profile within that second and people were reading it saying, whoa, what's happening? And I didn't know it was coming out that day. That was actually even more interesting. So I didn't know what to say, not to say. But um, yeah, so that was in uh, that was in April. And yeah, and so how how is this Berlin for you? How's the how's the energy in the market? And yeah, and and how's it going with reinvent? It's been an amazing start, I have to say. First of all, about Berlinale here, I've been wearing a few hats on. So I've been running from uh, Martin Gropiusbau uh, to Superlast, 
the TV series forum, and uh, you know, so much things has been going on. So I think from uh, you could say not alone perspective. It, perspective it's been amazing just being able to show people for the first time what we're talking about that it's not just a concept it's coded it's working looking at uh, Carsten down here our CTO who actually coded it for the last uh, many months so it feels like a big uh, relief that we're out there so there's been a big job of course talking to rights holders producers and trying to communicate what that is and from a reinvent perspective it's also trying to really explain what is this and why is is it different from what I came from before? I think that the most are grasping what we're trying to do and why we're doing it. It's really trying to embrace the new models and what is needed. And uh, I think people have been super uh, welcoming. Well, I think, uh, yeah, well, let's dive into into those new models and, and those things, you know, which are needed. I'm sure there's been a lot of people are looking for new models aren't they? And looking for different ways of doing things. But tell me, what was it that you saw when you were at Trust Nordisk, uh, when you thought, I'm going to do this differently now, I'm going to start my own thing? What was it you felt you needed to change? Mm. I mean, we have been having in Trust Nordisk uh, an amazing company for many years. Started out with Dogma when I started in 99, where, you know, Scandinavian wave just broke out and people wanted so much Scandinavian content that those were the days and since then it's been like a wave going up and down uh, but what I seriously felt uh, I would say four to five years ago was that there was a consolidation of companies uh, big European companies uh, majors coming into Scandinavia buying uh, production companies for example Fremantle buys Miso Zodiac came, Benny J and so forth. So suddenly, uh, especially from a TV series point of view, we had no chance of actually picking up those TV series anymore. And then uh, it felt like we were getting into the projects too late. We couldn't really define and use the knowledge we had from the international market in those projects because it was already done. If we were lucky, we would read the scripts. You know, we could just, you know, make a few changes here and there, but we couldn't define what kind of project it should be on an ideal level. So it felt like it was a little bit, uh, you know, um, a wall between what goes on internationally and what goes on uh, in Scandinavia that was not really used, that knowledge. So I started Trust Studio at that time, four years ago that must have been, where we started co-developing and co-financing uh, both films and TV series. So we put development money into uh, filmmakers that came with great ideas, or we could even option a book ourselves, or we got ideas uh, internally and started developing these projects uh, from basically in-house. And we already knew that at some point it would be Trust Nordisk, the normal sales machine, you could say that would be taking over, doing pre-sales and launching this internationally. So that was the beginning smoothly. And then, you know, it, many, many people are doing that now. Uh, but I think what was also the point that those development money, those risky money was indeed very needed. And uh, actually having a sales outlet uh, that knew exactly what's going on uh, during the production process was amazingly uh, important. So, uh, in fact, I could have done it within those frames which I had, but the finance part was missing 
and we basically did not have the muscle uh, that we needed. So, and then you could say from a background perspective, I've always had this entrepreneur in, in my stomach, you could say. I came from an entrepreneurial family. My father, three brothers, they were all independent. So when I suddenly started, you know, as a lawyer first, and then became part of Trust Nordisk, it was like, what are you doing, Ricky? I mean, that is so not our family. And I could always feel that drive to start something new. Um, and that's what I tried to do when I, uh, I started and launched reInvent. Mm. I have to say with Trust Nordisk, it felt like being entrepreneurial because it was like Centropa, crazy family, you know, very uh, high to the ceiling, fast decisions. But of course, we grew as well. And sometimes the more you grow, the, the less agile you can be. And it's becoming a little bit political. Mm-hmm. And it's that chance to, chance to do your own thing and do it your way. So reInvent is split into three areas. I'm not sure it's split, but it's three focuses. Uh, Packaging, finance, and sales. I thought it'd be really useful to break those down a bit Mm -hmm. uh, and think about why why those three particular areas are so useful and so important for your business. So start with packaging. Well, I mean, maybe it'd be helpful for uh, to, to explain a little bit about what packaging means mm-hmm. and, what, and, and what stage that happens at. Yeah. I mean, uh, packaging might be a little bit of, of a weird uh, word, but it's really about connecting the dots uh, and trying when you go into a market like we are looking at now, where you have to be extremely strong in the projects you select and not just be part of the ocean of content out there. You have to stand out. And that means that each element, both from the creative uh, process, but also from a financing point of view, needs to stand out and be very well thought out. And that's uh, what we can help with, uh, especially because we have the international background. We know the people out there. We have the network to actually bring in the right partners to make it happen. But also, uh, right from an idea stage, whether you are a scriptwriter that just has an idea and actually you want to execute it, where do you go? I mean, you might go to a producer, uh, a production company that would say, well, give me a script. If I like it, I might do it. And you won't have any rights whatsoever. But in this case, the script writer can come to us and we can help develop the idea uh, from scratch. So really, it's about being flexible. And I think that's what this world is all about. This, these times where it changes so quickly that you have to be flexible and, um, and be able to take in projects at whatever stage they're in, whether it's idea stage, uh, whether uh, it's uh, somebody who has financed 50% but is lacking the last 50%, whether it's somebody who just optioned a book or whether we do it ourselves, it's connecting the dots. So it's creative packaging from finding the right script writers, not only that one script writer, but perhaps in the writer's room, who would be the strong partners to put in that writer's room, who is the right script editor also. Is that idea strong enough to travel? It's finding the right director, it's finding the right crews and uh, everything that has to do with, uh, with the project. You're listening to Film Disruptors, and I'm in conversation with Ricky Ennis of Reinvent Studios. 
and if you want to find out more about Rike or any of our guests, you can do that at alexstoltz.com. But you still are quite selective in which projects you take at that point. You can't package anything. Oh, no. No, we can't. I mean, we have to be super selective, of course, because if we said yes to everything, we would just be overloading the market with even more content. And of course, we don't want to cannibalize our own projects either. So uh, we, we cherry pick great projects uh, that we feel has a strong DNA that stands out and is original. And I think the best example really is uh, the project that got chosen now here for the TV series uh, days uh, for the pitch session at the co-production forum. Um, it's uh, the first TV series from the Faroes. And this actually came about because of this script writer, Tuofinor, that comes in the door uh, with a script. He comes from London, he's been uh, doing uh, investment banking and uh, he always had this dream about writing. So he optioned uh, a book that was locally known and also sold in 20 uh, territories. And he came and said, can you help me? And we were a little bit, well, <clears throat> let's have a look at it. You know? And we read it and we just saw a gem that was absolutely outstanding. We knew it was not there yet. But with a little help to structure and set it up, I mean, this could really become uh, very, very special, both from a location point of view, but also the story and bringing out new things. So we took him, you could say, under our wings and really tried to uh, navigate in those stormy waters and show him a direction, of course, always being very respectful uh, for his vision. So I think that is what he lacked. He had been having this idea for seven years, but it never realized. But now, since we took it in just after summertime, uh, it went extremely fast. We have enormous interest, and now it's in Berlinale, and we're pitching tomorrow. So that is, I think, a classical example of what we can do at reInvent. And we have a few other examples coming out soon, hopefully. We are always looking for that content that stands out in the market. That's uh, an interesting way to put it, the DNA like that. Um, and, and, you, and you mentioned that's obviously a TV show. Are you doing mostly TV now or is he still movies? Yeah, still? yeah well, I'm actually, I'm coming from the feature film world. So mm. the fact that I just put so much uh, passion and love into TV series now, I, I don't know how that came about. I, I love both still, but I do still see a great potential uh, for TV series because, I mean, that's at least what, you know, we hear about people watching at home. Uh, and the fact that you can use the network that I've been building up for 20 years, especially for directors and scriptwriters within the feature film world and, and really connecting them to the TV series world. So we have decided that in packaging now, we uh, um, let's say 80% of what we do is TV series, 20% feature films. But from sales, it's only TV series now. And that is also because we already have Trust Nordisk in the market, which is very close to me still. We collaborate on a few projects, and I think they are sublime to do what they're doing. Mm. So uh, we don't want to compete on that way. We want to collaborate. Okay. And does that, is that also because TV shows are a bit easier to find finance for at this stage? They, moving on to finance. Yeah, yeah. They are... I would say easier to finance um, and I think of course when you look at it from a sales perspective uh, you know 
you do one deal anyhow, whether you sell a feature film or a TV series of 10 episodes. But that's not really the idea. What I think is, is so uh, incredible with TV series is the fact that you dig into a universe of characters uh, that I think we, at least in Scandinavia, are very, very good at. Um, so that's something that was very intriguing to us to continue developing and trying to find new ways and exploring uh, the Scandinavian way of telling stories. Yeah, and I guess you got more potentially repeat business with a with a TV property. A successful TV IP can go for absolutely, many seasons. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. There's no doubt from a business perspective, of course, it's not a one-off. You can go on for additional seasons and that's what especially the platforms want. So, and then it happened to be the perfect match when Helena Auer uh, came in from uh, DR Sales and joined the team because she's been like heading... Uh, pretty much what I have been hitting at Trust Nordisk, but more on, on the drama side. So um, it seemed like a good match. Mm. On the 20%, which is movies and uh, old-fashioned film, what's the, uh, what's the finance picture like that for, for film at the moment? There's been a lot of talk lately about it's either big or micro or small. There's no middle ground left in in filmmaking or film financing now. Is that your perspective too? I have to say that is my perspective, yeah. And and I think, um, you know, there are no middle ways. Being in between just means that, you know, you won't get that distribution form that you're looking for. Mm. The cinemas has certain slots, and if you don't make it to the cinemas, uh, I mean, you're, you're done. And, for example, in Denmark, we have programs for new talent and, and lower budget films. But the problem is that there is no market out there to actually take it. So unless you create a platform that can actually take those films for interested people out there, it won't be simply possible as it is today. I feel like we're starting to veer into not alone territory. Well, <laughs> That's a nice, a nice segue, but we'll, 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 come back to, we'll come back to that. Yeah. Uh, because... We're almost half an hour in and we haven't mentioned Netflix. So <laughs> yeah, we need to, need to get the Netflix bingo going. Uh, in, terms of, in terms of your sales then for these TV shows, how many, uh, how many players are there that you're, you're dealing with? For t well, I mean, first of all... Um I can mention that we made a deal with SF, uh, a major studio in the Nordic countries. We did that uh, some months ago, uh, securing an outlet of six to eight uh, Scandinavian TV series a year. That's, that's, of course, amazing for us to start with. Um, so you could say our outlets for TV series, if you look at it locally, it's few. I mean, basically, uh, you have from local platforms, you have Viaplay and HBO, Nordic, but which is now going global. Uh, and then you have Netflix, obviously, buying globally. And then you have local broadcasters. And that, of course, limits enormous, enormously what kind of TV series or feature films you can actually uh, sell to them. So you have to know extremely uh, well what they're looking for, at what time they're looking for, and how the whole window structure changes, how you can combine a possible SVT with a Netflix deal globally, whether it makes sense from a business point of view. Is it better to do it like with a Scandinavian platform and then, you know, do the puzzle with 
the countries or international territories. So that's really what we're trying to do. Uh, I don't know if that answers the questions yeah, or... I think, no, I think that does. I think it's a good, right. a good overview and feeling of, of, of how, how the jigsaw goes, you know, put, puts into place. Is that a uh, common um, or, or likely thing for Netflix to do, for, to buy the rest of the world if you've already signed off Scandinavia? Is that... Well, typically Netflix will look, of course, for as much territories as possible. But as you all know, I mean, they do both uh, original content, they do co-productions and they do acquisitions. So they are pretty flexible uh, when it comes to, to buying. Um, and if you already have a broadcaster aboard, they would typically do uh, acquisitions basically, what is left. But if you've sold out all of Scandinavia, it would not really make sense uh, of them to, to really do acquisitions. You would need at least a second window in all territories. So based on, you could say, the profile of, uh, of the broadcasters and how willing they are to play with Netflix, that's really uh, what uh, makes a deal or not. SVT has been super open to watch Netflix, so has uh, TV2, for example. NRK is a little bit more reluctant. So it depends for the Swedish, Danish and Norwegian shows how, the, how we deal with uh, Netflix. For example, uh, Valhalla Murders, it's an Icelandic uh, TV series where Netflix uh, bought global rights outside the pre-sales territories and Iceland and a few Scandinavian pre-sales, they just took the rest of the world and, and finished, uh, financed the gap. We're here at the Film Tech Meetup, obviously, so it'd be good to have a quick focus on the, on the tech side of reInvent or you know, how, how much, for example, does data come into your decision-making and analysis about which projects you would take on? Well, I mean, from a reinvent perspective, uh, it's very much based on our experience and gut feelings and a few Excel sheets that we have based on what we know from the past. And that just feels so not right uh, because there is so much data out there. Just, you know, with a... 600 titles we have in Trust Nordisk that we've been launching for the last 15, 20 years. I mean, if we had had all that data about how those films would have done, uh, you know, both cinemas, DVDs, I mean, you could get those reports, but we rarely get them. But especially after the digital revolution, where it's all there, it would have been amazing. We would have learned so much. Um, that, and that is, of course, also one of the reasons why we want to be in charge of that data ourselves, uh, which we are creating now with Not Alone, and give that back to the rights holders and the producers. So uh, from a reinvent perspective, we have our own data, but it's... Uh, more like a gut feeling, to be honest. Sure. It's uh, having that direct relationship with the consumer, right, where you can actually know which products works and, in theory, who's, who's enjoyed them, and that's very powerful. Is that something... Well, let's move on to Not Alone. And, uh, well, I think it'd probably be... I mean, that's obviously a consumer-facing VOD solution... What's the problem that you're solving? The problem that we are solving is that films, amazing films that have not been sold on a global level mm -hmm. will, for the first time, really be made available 
in the territories where they cannot be seen. That is, of course, if the rights holder chooses to upload his film into the platform. So uh, we are solving the problem that, you know, that everything that we see, for example, on Netflix and the bigger platforms are curated for us. This is what you should see because we produced it. This is based on the data that we have, but we're not sharing with you. Uh, and when you have all these amazing festivals like we have here in Berlin, I mean, I don't know how many of the films actually shown here will come to Denmark. It's very, very few. And I think that's pretty much the same picture in, in the rest of Europe. So it's frustrating to hear about films, read about films that you will never see unless you go to a piracy uh, sites and so forth. So this is really trying to create uh, an alternative to what can be seen on Netflix and uh, also giving the power back to the ones creating the ideas, the rights holders, the producers, and the ones putting a lot of effort into financing and producing these films, and they can still stay in charge of, uh, of the revenues coming in and actually knowing why your film went well, in which territories, who saw it, and what can I learn for next time. And how does it work then? So if you're a producer, you have a, uh, a, a movie which you want to, um, you, you want to release in... Denmark hasn't been sold. What would be the process? Mm. And and then how do how do audiences find it? Yeah, that's a very good question. I mean, let's start with a normal VOD platform uh, would come to a rights holder and say, "Let me look at your content and see if it's good enough for our VOD platform." Either you make a revenue share model or you simply uh, buy the rights to, to, to represent this title in the VOD platform. And then it's up to the VOD platform to do a marketing campaign and say, hey, here we are. A movie is a great example that does it ex extremely well. But this is totally different. I mean, although it's a platform where you can find the movies, it's really the whole idea to be a facilitator and in between the producer and uh, the consumer. So it's not up to us to decide whether your film is good or not. It's really up to the producer whether they see that there is a market out there. So a producer would upload the film into the platform and would pretty much tick off the territories that are available. Let's say that the, it's a sales agent holding the rights and you have a film, you've launched the festival, huge tension, but you sold five territories. Mm. Those are sold exclusively. No doubt about that. They took the MG, the minimum guarantee, that's it. But the rest of the territories, you can instantly make available when you want it. So you can set the price as you want it yourself. It's you that chooses whether it's two euros or five euros or even 10 euros, depending on when you're releasing it. But then uh, a very important thing is, uh, you could say, the promotion system and marketing system, which is also very different. And this is, uh, I think, uh, the, the new thing uh, going on really and that is all those film uh, and fan bases out there not being used now can actually be activated in a new way and earn money on each click so let's say I, I have actually a good example when the house that Jack built came out I think with the news of uh, was it principal photography last December or something then the house that Jack built is all the newspapers. And suddenly, somehow, in Portugal, this came out too. 
and people started clicking on breaking the waves. On one day in Portugal, there was, I think, 3,000 clicks on breaking the waves because people had heard about the house that Jack built, so they wanted to check out Las Ventrias' previous titles. They couldn't find it in Portugal. They were navigated to kino.dk in Denmark, so, which actually is a, a portal that sells cinema tickets. That specific portal can become a host. So if you enter a site like, for example, kino.dk, instead of just watching the poster, you would actually have a player where you can watch the film directly from that site. So that means that any website, any Facebook page, any blogger, any newspaper can suddenly have their own VOD platform. And they can release the films that are in the Not Alone system on their website. And people, their friends or fans, they can go and straight, you know, watch the film right there. So this is a, a kind of like a social media uh, way of spreading content in a new way incentivating people uh, to, um, to also promote it. Yeah, you're, you're breaking down all of that friction, uh, which, is, which is naturally there with, with platforms and that um, curatorial side of it, or the, the gatekeepers, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, is your, so for filmmakers, it sounds great, or producers, it's like, why, why not, you know? But I, is the challenge for you bringing these partners on board, the blogs or the uh, websites, cinema websites, perhaps. Who knows? Exactly. Yeah. We've been talking to everyone. Uh, and, of course, uh, some are reluctant at first because they're like, what, what is this? I mean, what's in it for me? But I think when they start understanding that, first of all, the cut for the platform is super little and really just you know, sustainability, uh, kind of. And the rest is for them. And they control the data and everything themselves. That's when people are starting to say, are, are you, this, this is interesting. I mean, this, I'm going to try that. So, I mean, we've been talking to uh, several sales agents uh, holding a lot of rights that are very interested in, um, in uploading titles. So we are in that process now here in Berlin and we'll be working on it for the next many months to create as much content on the platform as possible uh, and also contacting hosts because of course it's really important to know where all the traffic goes. So in France you might have let's say five to ten uh, websites where they just speak enormously about art house films and that's where you uh, you know you need to, of course and that's our job too to speak to those hosts and um, and get them to promote the content i'd like to talk just a little bit about diversity um i don't know what the stats are in in tv because we're focusing a lot on tv i realize at the moment but um they recently released analysis over the last 10 years and, and it showed that the number of female directors uh storytellers in film it really hadn't shifted much despite a you know very transformative year last year in, in many ways uh so you know reinvents obviously a great story of female leadership in the film industry but is that something you feel responsible for uh, not, not the whole last 10 years, of <laughs> well, course, but, but uh, is that something which you're, you, you're conscious of and you want to focus on starting to readdress that mm. disparity? I, I wish I could say that I was uh, responsible for 80% of uh, the company of Centropa being uh, 
you know, female and the same with reinvent. It really just happened to be the best possible people. Just like that. Uh, but looking at it from a content perspective, I think, and, and I actually thought about it um, recently about the stories that we tell. Somehow it seems like uh, a female protagonist in the stories is, is very up in the moment. Uh, so that is also something that we're focusing on in our stories. So uh, female casts, and often, you know, with um, emotions and, uh, and, and really depth in the characters of that female cast is often portrayed better by a female director. Uh, so we have quite a few projects with female, both directors and cast, and then led by a, a female team. Um, But I have to say, it's not that we choose a project because it's a woman. Uh, I mean, I've, I would feel, as a woman, I would feel that that is wrong. Uh, but of course, we want to really support uh, diversity. And um, I think, especially from a Scandinavian point of view, that's something that uh, is being looked into, especially from Sweden and, and, and Norway. Well, we're going to have some time for questions from the audience in a, in a short while. Just, just going, going back to um, not, not Alone, uh, what, what do you sort of see as the opportunity there for, um, for content owners to get involved in the promotion of their film? Do you see that as being a particular strand of your... Are, are you going to be helping content owners maximise their film opportunities. Absolutely. I think the frustration really has been coming from the distribution uh, business. It's been seeing all these films, amazing films uh, that has not come to the market. So it's really wanting to activate all those sleeping titles that are not out there yet. And as a sales agent, you often get these mails. We got tons of mails uh, every month just asking, oh, could I watch this film? No, you can't because it's not sold to Croatia. I'm sorry, but but that's just sad, you know, and we don't have time to actually send, uh, you know, a link to that specific person. So just knowing that it's available out there is great. Mm -hmm. So, f you know, the first step is really catalog uh, titles, but of course, uh, you know, depending on how it goes, it could be interesting to do day and date uh, in, in some territories. I mean... Let's say a, a film like Out Stealing Horses that was shown here uh, on Saturday. Amazing, beautiful film by Hans-Peter Moland from Norway. Uh, let's see if Trust Nordisk sells that to the whole world. And if they don't, which I think they won't uh, because I know the business. I mean, there might be territories out there to release. Uh, and uh, people that really want to see this film, especially now that it's fresh. And you still can read a lot of, uh, about it from from Berlinale. Yeah. But you won't, audiences won't have a chance to watch it on their TV player so much, so it's not, it's not like an over-the-top over kind of solution, like an app, uh, or, or is that coming? It will be. Yeah. Uh, and the thing is, you, you can stream it on your television. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, that will be available right now. It's, uh, you could say, how do you say, it's flexible. It can go from mm. one format to the other. Mm. But of course, this is very important to say that what we have launched here is really a beta version, yeah. like really underlining beta, because this is a tryout. 
just trying to, you know, to feel what the market uh, wants out there. So there is a lot of improvement to do and we'll be working hard to also get titles and, and just, you know, making it uh, much, much better. You're listening to Film Disruptors with me, Alex Stoltz, and we are in conversation with Ricky Ennis of Reinvent Studios. If you're enjoying the show, why not subscribe on Apple Podcasts? Well, I'd like to offer um, the audience now a chance to ask questions to Ricky. Of course, be 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 forewarned this is all being recorded live for the film disruptors podcast so immortality beckons but uh yeah if anyone would like to i can see a gentleman right there who's had his hand up straight away who would like to ask a question there there is a microphone on its way even more curious uh, i'm brave and even more uh, curious can you tell us something about uh, the group of investors you have Are they from Scandinavian only or Europe only or is there American or even um, other um, spaces investment? I can say that without Creative Europe, this project would never have been uh, happening. So that has been a great support. Uh, and then we have uh, Scandinavian investors, not international. We want to keep it super uh, simple and low-key and go as far as we can. And then we'll be looking into possible international investors. And is that, sorry, just to clarify, was that for reinvent or for not alone? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. I was thinking not alone. No, I can say reinvent, um, that is actually, and also uh, I think a major factor for, uh, for our decision making, that we are neutral, we are not owned by any big company uh, at all, uh, we are, uh, you could say, owned by ourselves, and then we have a group of uh, very trustworthy investors that really believes in the, in the vision, and they're not from the business so they don't know much about what we're doing, but they really trust that content is here to stay. So that's great. And that's also something we didn't mention before, but finance, the third leg, uh, which is also a new thing, uh, because as you may know as well, uh, one thing is getting your project financed. Another thing is the cash flow, when the money is actually coming in. And that depends on you're talking with HBO, Netflix, broadcasters, and so forth. So there is a huge gap, and we are actually supplying uh, bridge finance, Uh, mostly for both uh, feature films and uh, TV series, but also invest equity uh, and gap in uh, in other, you could say, other content than just our own. So just a, a big gap between when a show is commissioned and when the producer gets paid. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a big cash flow It challenge. Is. Yeah. yeah. Okay, solving that problem. We have another question at the back there. Um, I just wondered if you could speak a bit to the interface with existing distributors. So you mentioned, for example, a film can be sold in a number of territories and then still live uh, alongside or not alone. And I think that's very innovative and new. I've never seen that before. So could you speak to what happens if, uh, if a fan tries to find the film in, in a territory where there already is a, a, a distributor? And how do you respect the the ecosystem of, of financing and existing distribution yeah. models. Thank you. Yeah. 
Of course, that's super important uh, to respect the existing financing models coming from production. Uh, we know that, I mean, you cannot finance uh, films or TV series without uh, respecting exclusivity and selling to financiers, distributors. So that's uh, number one, uh, you know, to respect that. But that means, for example, if you have a film that has been sold to 10 territories, one of them France, uh, that means as a French and wanting to see that film, you would not be able to see it because you already have a rights owner in that specific territory. But that's super important, uh, Charlotte, absolutely. And uh, I mean, we would never be able just to go global with a project and just kill, uh, you could say, our industry and, and distribution business. That would, be, uh, that would be very sad and not very uh, healthy. So the, the territorial side of the business is, is here to stay? Yes, I mean, uh, absolutely. Uh, I think at some point you will have films that won't have distribution in the classical way. And then you have an alternative. Let's just see, you know, the smaller talent films that, you know, low, smaller budgets, those you can release globally right away. Or you have films that won't even find a, a sales agent that might uh, be coming out that way. Hi, um, just a content-related question. Um, you mentioned earlier that 80% of your sales were based in TV series and so on. Um, I was just wondering in terms of, you know, the length of the content, is that more... 20 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour or over? Or do you have a mix of both? I mean, what's the hmm. normal episode length yeah. for most content? I mean, the good thing now that everything is up in the air and you can do whatever you like because the platforms, they don't really care whether it's six, seven, eight episodes, whether it's 20, 30, 45, 60 minutes, as long as it makes sense for the content. But of course, from a broadcaster's perspective, I mean, you have all the same slots that we know, like the typical 45 minutes. Uh, and in Germany, you have to go the 90 minutes, you know, and then uh, so forth. So we are actually trying to experiment with a lot of different formats because we really want to learn. Uh, we have a few, uh, you know, which is now 30 minutes, 45, 60 minutes. We're also having like small talent uh, projects now where we're trying 10 minutes, 15 minutes. So we're trying also to collect as much data as we can. But, you know, the, the world is changing so fast. So it might be something uh, different uh, a week from now. But it has been more open uh, now, you could say, the world to different formats than ever before. Have you, have you had any, any experience, Ricky, with brand funding at all? Is that something which has crossed your radar in terms of finance, brands who want to get their message out by associating, supporting, financing mm -hmm. a great piece of storytelling? Absolutely. I think that's uh, also part of the future, no doubt, and corporate content. Not where you have to do a story on that specific brand, but where that brand presents a series. Uh, if you look at, you know, global companies that spends billions on marketing, I mean, I think the best way of actually promoting that brand would be by uh, investing in content instead of, you know, spending billions, you know, on, on television campaigns that nobody wants to watch. So this is definitely the, the future for um, also for alternatives to, to finance. Mm. I think there's a big opportunity there for someone who can bridge that gap and take the language of film and television storytelling and put it in brand speak because uh, there is increasingly a disconnect between brands and advertising 
and audiences. Mm. They want to get their message across. And what better way than to work with master storytellers? Have we got another question? We do, over here. Actually, I have a question. Uh, so you are the CEO, the CTO is here. I read on the website there's a CFO, maybe there's another C in the company. So this is usually either the case in big corporations or in startups or in tech companies. So since you're not a corporation yet, I was wondering whether there is any uh, inspiration that you draw from, from tech companies in, in the way you run um, reInvent Studios. Also because I, I came across the term that you are an incub incub uh, a content incubator. I think from a structure wise, of course, the smaller the team, the better, because to keep that one vision, almost like storytelling is super important. Also from a not alone perspective, I mean, we would never have gotten where we are today if we had been like a normal Uh, like big company, we would definitely have spent much more. So staying a tiny group, really know what you're focusing on. Uh, and then, of course, there's been an overlap from reInvent, the people from reInvent that uh, some of them are sitting here. Um, and uh, the fact that we know each other so well, we know what we're good at and how we can just divide the tasks has been amazing. So, uh, I mean, reInvent is partly involved in, in Not Alone, primarily also because of the team uh, involved that we know each other so well. So titles for us now are not so important as just staying focused uh, on the target and really trying to, to resolve uh, some of the issues we have. Uh, Ricky, I'd like to ask my film disruptor's signature question, which I ask all of my guests at the end of each show, which is, What is your advice for an emerging storyteller, someone who wants to write, direct, get their film or story out into the world? What would you say to someone in that situation? Um, I, I think everything starts really with passion. Uh, passion is, is key to everything you do because if you're passionate about something, you will probably be very determined and be good at it at some point and that will make you you know run the long miles that you have to because it's not an easy uh, it's not an easy uh, business we're in and then curiosity just you know keep on learning watching 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 you know all the tv series feature films talking to all the people you can learn from their mistakes and then uh, you know you'll get there in the end and then i think Basically, there is no substitute for hard work. That's just how it is. But I think Tuofinua uh, and, you know, uh, our great writer from the fairways is actually an inspiration to me because he spent seven years on that project and he never gave up. And he knew inside that someday he would find the right people to take it out there. And, uh, and here we are. So uh, passion and just keeping on. So that was Ricky Ennis recorded live in conversation at the 2019 Berlin Film Festival. And it was also part of the FilmTech Meetup series. FilmTech Meetup is a monthly speaker and networking event in the heart of Berlin and explores the touch points between film, storytelling and technology. The FilmTech Meetup series is supported throughout the year by the Creative Europe Desk Berlin Brandenburg. 
If you want to find out more about any of the guests on this show, listen to other episodes or get in touch, you can do all of this at alexstoltz.com. And if you are enjoying Film Disruptors, please subscribe on iTunes. And if you could leave a review too, that would be very much appreciated. So that's it for this episode. Just like to say thank you again for listening and look forward to seeing you again soon. As anyone listening to this show for a while will know, the business of storytelling is something I'm personally very passionate about. And when I'm not interviewing film disruptors, I love applying this passion and using my expertise to help independent storytellers and filmmakers accomplish their goals and get stories made and seen. I do this by working with storytellers intensively or over a longer period to develop the project and strategy for maximum finance, distribution and commercial impact. If you are a filmmaker or storyteller and would like to find out more about how I can help your project, I would love to hear from you. Please go to alexstoltz.com or just drop me an email at alex at alexstoltz.com. Dot com.